Good afternoon, everybody. We are down here, or rather up here, in Wisconsin. And uh, it is a little cooler in Wisconsin than it was at least when we left Texas. But we are enjoying a wonderful time with the community here. And uh, I don't, I've never been to this area. And so the, the hill country, the rolling hills and beautiful colors of Wisconsin are a lot to take in. We're really enjoying it. And even more spending time with God's people up here. I guess I wanted to start, Dan, with just a uh, the news that everybody's trying to absorb there from Israel. Uh, apparently, Hamas has launched a a major offensive against Israel. Forty people have been killed. An unknown number have been taken hostage, kidnapped by terrorists, and hundreds have been wounded. And we've just been corresponding with our our brothers and sisters there in the in the nation of Israel. And uh, we ask for your prayers for them, for, for their protection, but for all, all the people of God, all of God's children who are, who are under this time of crisis and, and duress. Have you had a chance to, I guess we, we, we've just been learning this uh, as of this morning. Has the Palestinian Authority taken credit for this? This have they taken responsibility for this, or have they just? Have, is it still up in the air? I'm not sure what their um, what their take on it is. I think it's pretty obvious what's happening, and I know uh, Netanyahu has said we're at war. Yeah. I don't know if that's a declaration of war exactly. I don't know how that works. With it's a terrorist oriented thing. Apparently, they're they were paragliding people in over the border in addition to a huge rocket barrage and, and um, yeah, over 800 people wounded. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, please keep Brother Daniel, Brother Hosea, all of our brothers and sisters in your prayers. I think four young people from our community were drafted this morning, and we just ask that you pray for them, that God would give them the grace and the wisdom to uh, to serve him first and to serve appropriately according to their convictions. It will be a difficult, sticky situation. To be clear, those young people are are serving in the military in a non-combatant role. Yeah. Uh, so when we say drafted, I think that simply means that they were called up okay. to uh, active uh, duty yeah. uh, this morning so, or early morning. If we look at the, the bigger picture of God's purpose for Israel, I think that there are some key scriptures that that seem relevant, and, and we're answering one question that came in from Holly Chips. Thank you for submitting that question. But looking broadly, it seems like in Luke, Jesus says that Jerusalem is going to be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled or until the full number of Gentiles come in. And uh, this parallels what Paul says in Romans 9. Um, I'm putting those two together a little bit. And if we look at the timeline of, of, of history, it's clear that Jerusalem was explicitly trodden underfoot by the Gentiles. It was under Gentile rule for approximately 1,800 years, um, a little over 1,800 years, from the sacking of Jerusalem by Titus until 1967, when Jerusalem went back into the hands of the Jews after the Six-Day War. And we would look at, at that as, as definitely fulfilling uh, biblical prophecy. And 
and, a, and marking a culmination of a season of an era and a shift in God's prophetic timetable. And what exactly does that mean? Does that mean that no more Gentiles are going to come to God? Or does this refer more to God's focus on peoples more than individuals? And, and, and does 1967 and 68 not represent a significant inflection point in Western culture as well? Shall we talk about that a little bit? So you're referring to, yeah, the, the 60s revolution, as it's sometimes called, yeah. and the, uh, the upheaval that was going on, uh, the unrest in, well, really it was in Europe too, yeah. but I think we're most familiar with its effects in America, um, where there arose a whole generation of people yeah. who were feeling the sense that their, the religion of their parents uh, was hypocritical, yeah. uh, was not... Uh, they didn't live what they professed. Uh, It was a certain type of hedonism, really, that had had taken over the culture in the the 50s, the post-war era. Everybody was kind of giddy from the success of World War II, and life was going to be perfect now, and and it it tended to kind of gut the the American society of, of any felt need for uh for god Mm. and and so forth so a lot of traditions started to feel pretty stale to the generation that followed and they started saying well what is the point of all this there's got to be something more there's got to be something uh more meaningful Mm. and then in comes uh the uh drugs and and promiscuity and uh libertinism and all of that but also in comes the uh the flower children and the peace, hope, and love uh, type of hippie movement and of people saying there's got to be answers. There's got to be more to life than this. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think there was a song at the time, yeah. you know, there's got to be more than this yeah. uh, that was that was popular. So musical revolution, yeah. uh, cultural revolution, I think it's typically called in, in the 60s, that seems to correspond with this uh, this shift towards the Jews. And it's I, I know, uh, I think your dad had, has made the comment before that it's as if as the door is swinging shut on Gentile Christian culture as, as a category, there's like this rush for the door, Yeah, you know, as, as the, the, the last of this uh, epoch is, is straining. Yeah. And, and, and of course there was an explosion of the Pentecostal experience and all of that that, that occurs yeah. simultaneous with this cultural revolution as people are looking for answers and finding Jesus. So the Jesus Amen. movement, yes. you know, explodes at the same time. Amen. Um, what happened after that is maybe another story yeah. uh, to talk about. But, but if, if we look at it, I mean, what was happening in the 60s across Western culture, I think in 68, if I have it correctly, there were more than 400 riots occurring in 1968 alone, in the United States alone. And of course, there were the Paris riots in 67 and 68. Um, So there was a lot of upheaval going on. And if you were to look at it kind of uh, in years to come, I think that people, historians, may likely see the 60s revolution, cultural revolution, as almost a modern renaissance. It's It's the unleashing of a certain kind of, of libertinism, of debauchery, if you will, 
that parallels what was happening back at in, in at the just before the Enlightenment, in the, in the Renaissance leading up to the Enlightenment, and there's some kind of pivot that the culture, a wholesale pivot that the culture is making away from God, away from cultural values, away from a certain tradition of, of Christianity, and they're, they're going toward this hedonism. They're going toward this uh, moralless, directionless, postmodern worldview. And I think that it's that revolution, whether people see it or not, it's, it's that 60s revolution that conservative Christians and conservatives in general are still struggling with today. Um, the, some historians have, some pundits have said that the, uh, the, the hippies of the 60s cut their hair, put on khakis, and, and went into the courts, the media, and the schools, and determined, in the, in the words of Antonio Gramsci, to take the long march through the institutions and to inculcate their radical ideology into the culture that was at that time rejecting them. That's why there were riots. <laughs> the culture was not, at large, the culture was not happy with what was happening. But that ideology really was a revolution. And and we're, we've now caught up to the craziness of the 60s and surpassed it. It never really stopped. And, and so we really do see that the scripture is fulfilled. The Gentile season comes to a, a culmination, begins to close there in 67, corresponding to Jerusalem coming back under the control of the Jews. And now God is turning his focus and his favor toward the Jews. And I, I guess that raises a question of what do we mean by the Jews? And and that's a that's perhaps a nuanced answer, but um, maybe I'll give a stab at it. But I think that of course we mean the natural lineage of Abraham, the Jewish people, that there is a special favor and blessing that God has on them, and a purpose that He intends them to fulfill in the economy of the last in the economy of His purpose in the last days, and so. God is giving favor and attention and focus to the natural lineage of Abraham. But then we would also say that the term Jew, the term, uh, well, in Hebrew, Yehudim, it literally means true worshiper. So um, worshiper of Yahweh. So Paul has defined this as those who are not Jews outwardly, but inwardly of the heart the circumcision that is of the heart. And he defines it as those who are truly living by faith. And so we would see this turn to the Jews as most definitely including the natural lineage of Abraham, but also including those true worshipers of Yahweh, those true followers of, of faith that, that encompasses all the Gentiles who are walking by faith uh, and who are Jews therefore inwardly and not merely outwardly. Yeah. And and therefore you could say that this season is going to be this this shift is is going to be a shift away from the gentile nations and it's going to be a focus on the church on the restoration of the church, the revival of the church and on on the Jewish people, on the lineage of of, 
of Abraham. And it seems like that's been our experience, at least broadly speaking, that uh, the people that we most encounter with a hunger for God have been those that have already had some type of uh, encounter with God or some type of um, understanding of God, as well as Jewish people who are often coming from a more secular uh, standpoint, actually. And it doesn't mean that, I don't think we're, we're trying to make categorical statements here that, you know, now no longer will any secular Gentiles come to know the Lord. We we're seeing that happen too. Sure. But not on the scale that no. it was happening in the 60s and 70s. No. I mean, that, that wave of people who were completely coming from a secular, unchurched background, encountering God yeah. by the thousands, yeah. it, we're just not seeing that same type of thing no. anymore. No. Um, but we're not saying that, that Gentiles are no longer eligible no. You know, right. <laughs> any more than than we were would be saying before that that in what Jesus called the times of the Gentiles, the Jewish people were not eligible. Sure, they were also Jewish people coming to the Lord. But we've seen quite a shift. Yeah, uh, and not just in our fellowship, but really uh, around the world yes. of Jewish people turning their hearts towards Messiah and yeah. having an openness that just wasn't seen yes. in, say, the early 1900s, um, that, that that shift does seem to be taking place. Amen. It's an exciting time. It really is. And I think that part of the promise there in, in Romans 9, and we can look at it if we, if we want to, but, you know, Paul says, I'd like to back up a little bit and, and just say that, you know, when Jesus is going to the temple to cleanse it for the last time and it seems like it's it's uh it's just in the last days of his life on earth he's going to be crucified within 72 hours if not less <laughs> and he's heading from Bethany up to Jerusalem and while he's passing by a fig tree he goes to the fig tree expecting to find fruit on it and finding none, he pronounces a curse against it. And he says, no more will anyone eat fruit from you again. And, and we say, well, is God trying to speak to us something arbitrary about a tree? Is he just mad because he was hungry and short-tempered that morning? Or, you know, is, is this just a message about individual fruitfulness or fruitlessness in general? And I would say no to all the above. I feel like this tree, the fig tree in Jesus's uh, prophecies, seems to refer to the, to the Jewish religious system, and and that's borne out when he speaks about the time of the fullness of the Gentiles, because he says, "Look to the fig tree when it is green in the leaf. You know that summer, meaning the tribulation, is nigh." And so he's answering the question back there in Luke. When is the tribulation going to occur? But back here, he's he's heading up to Jerusalem. He finds this fig tree, and he pronounces this judgment against it, that no more will anyone eat fruit from you ever again. And then he goes into the temple, and he begins to exert the authority of God to clean out commercialism and to bring in the children and the blind and the lame. And he says, you have made my house, my father's house, a den of thieves, but it will be a house of prayer. So there's this burden on the Lord to purify the temple, 
to purify the sanctuary. And the rulers of the temple and the Pharisees are angry at his unsanctioned use of authority in the temple. And he has braided a whip. He has chased the animals out. He has turned over tables. He has shaken money boxes free of their coins. He has demonstrated the zeal of God in a most unsettling way. (laughs) And they ask him, the rulers of the temple ask him two questions. They say, by what authority do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? So their question says, I don't recognize this kind of authority. And I don't know where this kind of authority came from. And this statement that I don't recognize this zeal of Yahweh's house, zeal for Yahweh's house, I don't recognize the zeal of God, I don't recognize the authority of God. When they ask Jesus this question, Jesus asks them a question. And instantly, the debate about authority begins to center on a tree and a question of fruit. And this, I would argue, is directly tied to the exchange with the fig tree that has just occurred. He says to them, let me ask you a question. The baptism of John, was it of man or was it of God? And if if we look back, before Jesus was on the scene, all of Judea is going out to be baptized by John, confessing and repenting of their sins. And we are told that when, when the whole crowd was going, The Pharisees and the rulers of the temple, they also went out to be baptized by John. But we are told that when John looked up and saw them coming, he did not give them a red carpet welcome. (laughs) He, He looked up and he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? He says, first, you go bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So what John basically told them is, you want to be baptized I need you to show that you have the fruits of repentance before I'm going to baptize you. So whatever they say to Jesus at the temple, when they challenge, go ahead. And he goes on to say, for even now the axe is laid at the root. That's it. Yes, he tells them the axe is laid at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down. So he's telling them, repent and prove the fruit of repentance, or your tree is going to be cursed. Your tree, the ax is going to slip through the root of your tree. And so now when they don't understand the authority of God, Jesus takes their ignorance and their rejection of God's authority operating in human form. He takes that as immediate evidence that they haven't come to repentance, showing us that the fruit of repentance in this scenario would have been a recognition of God's authority moving under the zeal for his house. And so when they say, by what authority do you do these things and who gave you this authority? He says, let's talk about that baptism you wanted from John. Why'd you do it? Was it was it of God? And what he's basically saying is, what sent you out there? If that was of God, why didn't you bear the fruits of repentance? Yep. And so it's very relevant that John's asked for repentance and fruits to prove it, and their questioning of God's authority immediately evidences to Jesus that they haven't gotten it. And that shows us that in Jesus's view, a recognition of God's authority in our lives is the fruit of repentance. 
And so in this exchange, he tells them, neither will I tell you whether where my authority is from and who gave it to me. And he leaves and and they're coming back to the temple the next morning. And Peter, I believe it is, says, Lord, look, the fig tree which thou hast cursed yesterday is today already withered, you know. And Jesus doesn't say to him, I know, Peter, it's sad, but, you know, these things happen. He says, have faith in God, and you will not only do this, but you will also say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and it will obey you. And and he says more, but I would say that from the disciples' standpoint at that stage, this mountain, he didn't say you will say it to any mountain. He said you will say it to this mountain. And this mountain in front of them was Mount Zion. But it was Mount Zion that had established and entrenched itself as a religious edifice in rebellion against the Holy Spirit, in rebellion against the one whom God had sent. What, what Paul called Jerusalem from below. Amen. In Galatians. Amen. Which he said had come to correspond to Hagar. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty heavy, really. And so I think Jesus is saying to them, this religious system that you think is so enduring, is so permanent, it's dead. It's gone. (laughs) And the entire tree is cut down and no one will ever eat fruit from it again. Its purpose is done. It's finished. And he's trying to encourage them that they are going to speak words that are going to set in motion the moving of a mountain. (laughs) I think they spoke, I think the apostles spoke those words and Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin representing that mountain of of entrenched pride against God. And they said, you be the judge of whether it is better to obey God rather than man, but we will not stop preaching in this man's name. Mm -hmm. And, And great signs and wonders were done through the name of the holy servant Jesus. <laughs> and I think that this represents the severing of the religious Sinai system. But in, in Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, I believe it's 613, I have to check that. The Lord promises, he says, I will, I will destroy, he's going to take, he's going to remove the people But he says there in that chapter that I will leave a remnant. And he says that remnant will be a seed. It will be a root left in the ground like a holy seed. (laughs) And he goes on and he says that remnant will be like two or three or four olives in the tops of a tree or like a grape left on the vine or like gleanings in in the wheat field. He's saying this very small percentage is going to remain. And he says that that root, that root will be the holy seed that is left in the ground. And if you go over to Paul, Paul begins to say to the Gentiles that you do not support the root, but the root of Abrahamic Judaism supports you. So while the tree of what that Abrahamic faith had become in the Sinai law religion, that tree was cut down and it's done. 
That law system, no one is ever going to eat fruit from it again. The root remained in the ground. The root of true Abrahamic faith remained in the ground. And so Paul would say to the Gentiles that the wild tree of the Gentile people was grafted in to the cultivated tree of the Jewish tradition. Not the tree as it was in the days of Jesus at the temple of Herod, but the root mm-hmm. that was still in the ground. And, and he tells us that we should not boast against the root, for we do not support the root, but the root supports us. Mm-hmm. And then in, in Romans 9, Paul says that if the severing of those dead branches, those branches that rejected the Spirit, those branches that rejected the authority of God in human form, if the severing of those branches represented life for the Gentiles, he says that their grafting back end will be life from the dead. So he said their severing was mercy for the Gentiles. That's how he says it. Their severing was mercy for the Gentiles, but their grafting back in will be life from the dead. I think that I would see that as meaning two things, that it means that dead branches are going to come back into a tree whose root is Judaism, but whose trunk now is Gentile, and now the branches are going to finish it out, and those dead branches are going to be revitalized. They're going to get life from the dead. But I see Paul is saying more there. I think that he's saying that them coming back in is going to be life for the Gentiles also. It's going to mark a season of revival for the Gentile church that is life from the dead. Because he's talking about the Gentiles when he says their severance was mercy for the Gentiles, so their grafting back in will be life from the dead. And so we would see, and it's been taught, my dad taught for more than 40 years, well, nearly 50 years, he taught that when the Jews started coming back into the church... It was going to mark the beginning of the church's end-time revival, that this was going to be not a revival isn't even the best term. It was the end-time restoration. Mm -hmm. And the culmination of that would be the two witnesses standing upon the earth, the Gentile and the Jewish witnesses (laughs) together, standing together. And this corresponds to Zechariah when he speaks of the two olive trees Mm -hmm. (laughs) that are the sons of fresh anointing, corresponding to kind of figuratively Peter and Cornelius, the the Gentile and Jewish branches standing back together upon the earth. It's really pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. And what it represents for, in terms of of, of this time, to see that, that God is starting to bring the Jewish people, it's a sign that life from the dead is coming to the church. I also think that There's a parallel in that Paul says first the natural and then the spiritual. And I think that the church is going through the same reduction and the same rejection that Mount Sinai went through there in the days of Jesus and Paul. And I think that what really was released first in the time when Israel was becoming a nation, but then as Jerusalem was coming back under the hands of the Jews, that that Pentecostal revival, that move of the Holy Spirit that was released, the Lord has said to to the Gentile denominations, 
bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And you feel like they have not done it. (laughs) And you feel like now those who rejected the Spirit, no one is eating fruit from those trees again. They are becoming increasingly dead wood that have very little impact, very little meaningful uh, witness or presence in culture today. It's, it's appalling. They are going to be extinct, I think, in the lifetime of our children. Entire denominations are going to be extinct, except as a, as a memory, as a relic of the past, because they would not say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They would not accept the authority of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if we should talk about <clears throat> that kind of repeated motif for a minute, because I think it's something that, uh, and the motif I'm referring to is what you were just describing, where, uh, let's say, a, a denomination or a, there's there's some type of genuine move of God. We see this over and over in yeah. the history of, of the church and, of yeah. course, of the Jewish people before that, right. where just as with the first church, <clears throat> there's a... Uh, there's this explosion of, of growth. There's this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The church is born, and what immediately happens is that all the old traditional Jewish people who have been so faithful to their principles are the biggest opponent of what the Spirit is now doing. Yeah. And, but it's it's not the only time. Right. It happens over and over through seasons of reformation and revival and so forth yeah. in, in, in the church, yeah. where those who are a few steps behind right. are, are seemingly the most vigorous persecutors of those who would who would continue on. Yes, you know, and we see it in in um, you know Stephen's recounting to his own people yeah. in his testimony, where he he goes through kind of the history of Israel and you know with the the pointed message of you stiff necked, you know. You always resist the Holy Spirit, just like your fathers did. Yeah. He, he's saying this is a pattern, yeah. you know. And yet, <clears throat> I think sometimes believers who are coming out of a tradition that has been, that was at one time, uh, a, a movement forward, yes, and that does p- possess some type of truth, um, embodied truth, even, yeah. um, and yet has now ossified into principled uh, religion and tradition and so forth, they struggle because they look at the old and they say, but this is what maybe first introduced me to the Lord. This is a tradition that is at least better than this or that other tradition. Uh, And they kind of wrestle with the question, what do I do? You know, uh, what do I do? I go back and try to revive yeah. the old the old tree. Yeah. Do I try to inject some sap into it and yeah. get it going again? <clears throat> because this is where I came from. Yeah. Do or do I just do I just cut it off and 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 run? What do I do? Yeah. You know, and I think it's a it's a, a dilemma that has been faced many times. Yeah. And you you were referencing the. Peter and John, was it there, who, who are speaking to the mountain, so to speak, yeah. speaking to the Pharisees and saying, well, you be the judge. Yeah. Ought we to obey God or ought we to obey man? Yeah. And yet they're speaking to the rulers, the spiritual leaders yeah. of, their, of their people. Yeah. I think we sometimes 
2,000 years later, we, we draw a little bit too sharp of a contrast between yeah. uh, what we see as the Jews and the Christians, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, and, and we may fail to appreciate that these were their people. Yeah. You know, Peter and John, I don't believe they were viewing themselves as uh, we have departed from Judaism. No. At all. No. They felt like we are taking the next step in the faith of our fathers. Yeah. We were talking about this last night, yeah. but as Paul would, would later say, in the way that they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers. Yeah. <laughs> he was making an appeal that what he was doing was truly going back to the root. Yeah. yeah. You know, the root yeah. of Abrahamic faith was what he was continuing in, and yet the preponderance of the religious leaders of his day were calling it a sect, and which the word is heresy or, or cult in modern parlance. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're saying this is an aberration. This is breaking from tradition. This is not, you know, what our fathers died for. And Paul is saying, actually, it is. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. And, and so we, I think we sometimes fail to appreciate what that felt like yeah. for Peter and John to stand up and say to these guys, which you might say, were their former pastors yeah. or, or whatever, uh, yeah. and, and to say, you know, you guys are trying to squelch the move of God. You're telling us not to preach in the name of Jesus, but, I mean, this has transformed our, our lives. Yeah. And so they are at once called by God, I think. They are, they are called to, to, to show honor where honor is due yes. and, and yet to be obedient. Yes, you know, to to the truth and yeah. the light and the and the grace that they've received. Yeah, it just seems like it's a pattern that it is. repeats over and over, and, and you it's still meet theme. people who feel like they are stuck a little bit. They're wrestling yeah. with, you know, what do I do with this seeming break from my tradition? Yeah, it's like being here in in Wisconsin and seeing Amish, Old Order Amish, who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And who have found joy and love and life in God for the first time. And they're overflowing with thanksgiving. And they don't seek to change their lifestyle. They don't seek to give up their traditions at all. And yet you look at the way that their people of today, their current congregation persecutes them. And the only thing you can liken it to is the persecution that the Amish suffered when they stepped out yep. in faith 500 years ago, the Anabaptists. Um, I mean, the rejection, the excommunication, the slander. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And I think that's the theme. I mean, you've referenced this already, but I, I think it bears reading mm -hmm. in Galatians 4. You've got to read the whole book of Galatians. But, but Paul is saying here, he says... For it is written, this is verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman through the promise. So he says that the difference between the two sons and ultimately the two nations, the two groups, is one is born according to the flesh and one is born according to the promise, which we know Jesus has said that the promise is the Holy Spirit. 
Well, and Paul right there in, in Galatians, I think it's the previous chapter. It is. It talks about, you know, born of promise as being the children of the Spirit. Of the sp- he uses them interchangeably. Yeah. So. Tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of my Father. So he says, one is born according to the flesh, and the other is born through the promise, which are symbolic. He says, these sons are symbolic. He goes on, he says, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to present-day Jerusalem, which is in bondage with her children. Mm -hmm. I mean, and this is an astonishing thing because it shows how the son of promise can change and become the son of, of, of the bondwoman. But Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And he says here that Ishmael persecuted Isaac because he was not born of the spirit. But he says, sadly, the Isaac generation has become the Ishmael of his day. And he says it, it's still to this present day, and he, he makes being born according to the Spirit what it means to be born according to the promise. And I think that's the problem is, is it's like the Isaac community says, we have this status. We are the Anabaptists, or we are the Baptists, or we are the Pentecostals. We enjoy this status by right because mm-hmm. of what our fathers did or what our ancestors did years ago. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you say, we don't have to be responsive to what God is doing in the spirit. We don't have to be children of promise of the spirit today. You're changing places and you're moving to become children of Hagar, children of the bondwoman. Which is this whole emphasis in Galatians that are you now trying to finish in the flesh what was begun in the spirit? So he was saying that you Galatians could also join mm-hmm. in becoming part of Hagar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. scary, really. It's the constant reversion or human tendency to, to revert to principle, revert to tradition, and leave out the scary business of having to follow God in the Spirit. That tendency is not going to go away, Yes, as far as I can tell. I think it, we're all heir to it. Yeah. I remember you teaching one Sunday about... Paul's comment there where he says to the Galatians, you desire to come under bondage, to be enslaved again. And you asked, why would anybody desire that? And and just realizing how much more comfortable and predictable it is for the flesh mm-hmm. to live under the predictable bondage than in the scary life of the spirit mm-hmm. and of faith. I said that Yehudim 
means worshiper of Yahweh or true worshiper. And so when Jesus gives his statement there in John 4, he would have uttered it in a Hebrew dialect, uh, Aramaic or, or Hebrew dialect. And, and what he's saying is salvation is of the Jews, of the, of the Yehudim, because they know whom they worship, right? But he says, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, and I believe how he's saying that is the true Jews will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. And he's talking about this reality of both the spirit and the word, not just the word, not just the spirit, but the spirit and the word in tension with each other. And I think that a lot of our journeys to Hagar and Mount Sinai begin when we when we say, I'll take one or the other. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll take the spirit, but don't give me any form. No, 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 no absolutes. Or I'll take the word, but, but don't, don't, I don't need the spirit. We don't need the anointing. We don't need the zeal of his house. You know, it's, it's really when we try to mm-hmm. bifurcate and choose between one of these approaches that we cease to be the true Yehudim, the true worshipers, and therefore the Jews, God's people. So let's touch on one point and then we'll, we'll call it a wrap. How does that sound? If we understand that according to the New Testament, according to all the promises, the church is supposed to be spiritual Israel. And we talked about this, I think it was in our last discussion. Uh, we talked at some length about those passages where at the end of Galatians, Paul addresses the church as the Israel of God. And uh, there are various passages that make it clear that Jesus is fulfilling the promises made to Abraham. This is his whole predicate in Romans. And in Galatians, Paul is saying that Jesus is fulfilling the promises made to Abraham. So if the church is supposed to be the Israel of God, and those born of the Spirit through promise are now Isaac, and those who reject the Spirit in the natural system correspond to Hagar in Arabia, which is in Paul's present-day Jerusalem, (laughs) Mount Sinai, then what is the purpose? Why? What is God going to do through the natural lineage of the Jewish people, and why was their nation reborn? We would say that first the natural, then the spiritual, it does predict the rebirth of the church on a whole new level, never before seen. What else? What? Why, what, why is God showing what seems to be natural, even national favor to Israel? And, and why should we be praying for Israel at this time? What is the purpose? Are they going to be saved in some other dispensation through dispensationalism? After we're all raptured up, are they going to get another chance at things? And, and why, why is all this happening? How do we make sense of it? It's like, you know, the various schools of thought. There's replacement right, theology, right. which says the Jews don't matter to God anymore because yeah. the church is here. And then there's dispensationalism, which creates a parallel salvation for the Jews, different from the church. 
We reject both of those things. So we don't accept replacement theology. I'll give it a stab. I mean, I've just said that we believe that their grafting back in is life from the dead, not only for the individual branches, but for the tree. So that is a seminal purpose. They are going to bring some sense of culture, some sense of history, some sense of, of perspective to the church that is going to usher in and be essential to its end-time revival. But if we were to say, in contrast to replacement theology or dispensationalism, what is the purpose of natural Israel today. Why Why is this happening? Why is it restored? I think it ties to what Paul refers to as the quick work Amen. that's going to happen in in the last days, and that there is a an ingathering, Amen. a concentration, if you will, Amen. of of um, people who who really, literally, are the inheritance of those who heard. The call of God, even during the time of the Holocaust, yes. and made a different choice. Amen. So, I mean, it was a remnant, yes. if you will, of oh, yeah. those who, even in a natural sense, of those who were in Israel, who who had some kind of respect for their heritage yes. that went beyond, let's just dwell in Poland or Germany uh, in the comfort zone yeah. and, and so forth. But they felt that stirring that said... there. We're supposed to be more than that. Amen. And they weren't even all uh, religious people. Amen. And yet there was something stirring in their hearts that said, there's, there's got to be more than this. Amen. There's that same thing we were talking about before. There's got to be more than this. There was something in them. And so they started making the, you know, the Aliyah to Israel and, and the, in the time when Palestine was swamps and, and uh, nothing but trouble. Yeah. You know, and, and yet it was, it was those people who primarily, those, those people combined with the refugees after the Holocaust that comprised the Jewish state of Israel Amen. in natural terms. Amen. And so these are, these are already people who have their hearts inclined towards a different kind of answer Amen. than the same old, same old. Yeah. Um, and so that's already started to happen there, this concentration of people who, who are, are searching, yes. who are seeking yes. again. And and I think that in God's um, larger economy, in yes. His allowance uh, for world events, He saw He's seeing fit to use once again this physical land yeah. of Israel as a gathering place Amen. for those who have a heart to hear. Amen. And I'm not making a categorical statement about everything that goes on in Israel, but you can feel it when yes. you go there. Yeah. yeah. These are people with a an awareness of history. Yes, these are people um, with a with strong baloney detectors. Yes, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> these are people who 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 are they're very grounded in reality. Amen. And they're even bonded with each other. I'm speaking yeah. of the Jewish people in yeah. general. They're even bonded with each other in a way that we haven't seen amongst the Jews in centuries. Amen. I, I would argue. Uh, there, you know, there's this shtetl here and that shtetl there, sure. and their kind of traditions and such. But the sense of nationalism, yeah. even there, it just hasn't come to birth no. like it has now Amen. in in Israel in a long time, where they're they're back together again with that sense of there's a purpose. Amen. We are a people. Amen. You know, and I think God wants to use all of that. Amen. And I think we see precedent for all this in 
in Scripture. It's the second chapter of Micah, I think, yes. where it talks about that he shall gather them together yes. like sheep in a sheepfold, yes. speaking of Israel. and uh, He said they shall be very noisy. Yeah, <laughs> because there shall be so many of them yes. you know, together. Yes. Um, that that seems to fit in Amen. some ways. Uh, that, um, and then he says, then the breach maker shall go out before them. Hallelujah. You know, that there's there's a purpose in this concentration Amen. that is uh, going to fulfill God's spiritual purpose. Yes. So it's not that that we would see the the dirt in Israel is somehow intrinsically holy. Right. And in, unless you live there, you're not, not going to heaven or, no. or those types of things. But does God have a purpose for geographical places? Yes, especially when those places are tied to the ancient roots. Yes. You know, of yes. of the the hearts going all the way back to Abraham who went out of Ur. You know, he went out not knowing where he was going, but God was going to give him a homeland. It's Amen. what's described in Hebrews. Amen. Those who didn't even receive the promise, but they saw it from afar off and they welcomed it. Amen. You know, God has prepared a city for them. Amen. He has prepared a homeland for them. So it's for the people that have that heart that Amen. says... There is yet a place Amen. for the people of God. Amen. There is yet a homeland. There is yet a, a place that we can call home. Amen. And we would ultimately see that as a, as a spiritual place. Yes. Um, it's not even in this world. Right. <laughs> ultimately, there's a homeland uh, to, to come. Yes. But those reverberations in the natural yes. are preparing uh, uh, and, and literally, yes. physically, concentrating and gathering together the remnant of those who heard Amen. Uh, into a place where that quick work can happen. First the natural and then the spiritual. Yeah. So we would say that that the purpose is multifaceted. First, what is happening to natural Israel and its rebirth as a nation is a sign. Here I am and the children Yahweh has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel. Yeah. So it's a sign to the church of the rebirth that is supposed to happen in spiritual Israel. Second, God has used the rebirth of that nation as a magnet to pull out of Europe and out of the rest of the world those whose hearts still burn with faith, those who have rejected this fallen world and all of its, its systems and still seek a homeland of their ancestors. So, And finally, third and finally, God has rebirthed, allowed the rebirth of Israel so that he could bring them together and, and, and bring into one place those who have this heart for return, this heart for the Lord, and do a quick work. He's gathered the sheep into a fold so that they would be there when the breach maker does the quick work. And that quick work is going to be the work of them receiving Yeshua as their Messiah, as their Savior. And I think of what's been happening this morning. You know, you know that even those types of events... Um, God is using them. Amen. They are contractions in His purpose. Yes. And uh, you know this, the timing of this actually corresponds with our our brothers there. Uh, with uh, they just had a fair yeah. there during the holiday season. They the last had, two days, right? Yeah, yeah. Last two days, they've had a, a fair there, and the report, all the reports that I've heard thus far, uh, have been wonderful. Yeah. Um, there was a man, secular, I believe, Israeli, who was visiting and who apparently stood up during the music and said, what is this that I'm feeling right now? What is this? He was encountering something there just in the, in the 
music that he he may have not felt before. And um, apparently there was another fellow who had come for the first time to visit the community at the, at this fair, loved what he felt, and um, had a rocket land right near his house. They sent us a picture. Had a rocket land right near his house this morning. Um, and one of the brothers there called, uh, contacted him, checked on him, and and uh, he was still talking about the fair <laughs> and saying uh, how much he enjoyed it and, and um, that he wanted to be invited to any future events that we might do. Amen. You know, and you just feel like, you know, I, I wrote them this morning in reference to what you said before, how so often it seems that what's bad for the world is good for the church. Yeah. Uh, and when events seem to be going poorly yeah. and people's faith is shaken in the institutions, whether it be of the, of the state or political movements or whatever, the things that people tend to invest their faith in, when those things are shaken by events like these, it causes them to to once again turn out and seek and say, "Is there another way? Amen. There's got to be more to it than this." Amen. You know, and it's at, at those times, at evening time, there shall be light. Amen. Against that backdrop of chaos and turmoil, the the light of love and unity and faith is going to shine all the brighter. So, Amen. I expect that we're going to see good fruit, Amen. even in the times that are happening. But we do ask all of you to to pray. Pray for our brothers and sisters over there. Pray for Amen. their safety and pray for Jerusalem. Amen. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray that God's will will be done there. Amen. That, that all of it, that he will He will cover it, but that it will, it will serve to turn the hearts of his people towards him. Amen. Amen.